it's me again. If you guys will open up in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to be getting back into our study in 1 Corinthians. Isn't it a blessing to have a great staff that all of them can preach? I so appreciate John Wilson uh, just watching him over the last couple of weeks, seeing where he began his preaching a few years ago, and to just see how he continues to grow as a preacher, as a pastor, has just been an amazing thing. So take time to encourage John. Thank him for the ministry that he does here at this church, and I'm grateful that I can be gone on these trips and know that you guys are in great hands. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, as we start this section this morning, I want you to realize that all of this is connected. Sometimes we forget that the scripture, you know, we hear verses that we're familiar with and we don't realize the context that they are put in. These are verses that you guys have probably heard if you've been in church very long. And I want you to see that what we're going to study today is connected to what we have been studying in chapter 9, even in chapter 8, that these are all a continuation really of the same discussion. What Paul began to say was, if you remember in, in chapter 8, he was saying to all of us, now, you know what, we need to think about those around us, those that may have a weaker conscience, those, remember we talked about the meat offered to idols and, and all of those discussions where the Apostle Paul was challenging us to think through how we deal with the freedom that we have in Christ. How do we do it, deal with the liberty that we have been given, that there are times we set aside our liberty, our freedom, so that we might have the best chance to be an effective witness to those that are around us. And then last week, uh, it kind of switched up a little bit, and he began to use a personal example about his own liberty. And, and really what last week was about, it wasn't so much about, hey, this is how we should take care of our pastors, as much it was the, as the Apostle Paul saying that, hey, you know what? If there was anyone that deserved... If there was anyone that had the right to be paid for something, he says, here we are giving our lives for the gospel, surrendering everything to go from place to place to place to place to make sure that you've heard the gospel, that you've been given the opportunity for life. And, and he kind of made the argument that, you know what, just like someone who's a farmer, you would expect they get the first fruits, right? He, he went on and made all these examples, and he was saying, but as for me, he said, I'm not going to take any money from the churches. And the reason that he chose to do that was he said that I don't want anybody to misunderstand my motivations. I do what I do because God has called me to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you remember, he went on and said, that, you know what, I don't have a choice in this calling. When God calls, all you should say is what? Yes. Yes. Yes, here I am, Lord, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And he said that, you know what, woe to me if I don't preach this gospel. And he didn't want anything to get in the way of that message, of the opportunity for people to know Jesus Christ. He said, you know what, the payment isn't in the money anyways. You know where he said the payment was? Seeing the transformed lives. When you see someone go from death to life, when you see a life that has been so addicted, find freedom. When you see brokenness healed. When you see marriages transformed. I want you to know that when the gospel comes in, it breathes life into dead things. And he said for him, you know what, that is where I find my joy. And then we get into this section of scripture. So it doesn't stand alone, it's building on what we've already been talking about. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we'll start there in verse 19. He says, For though I am free from all men, and that's referring back to the discussion that John finished with you last week. I am free from all men. I'm not indebted to anyone. The reason that I do this is with pure motives. I've given my life to something, and we're going to see what it is. He goes on and says, I am free from all men, and I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more. To the Jews, I became a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who were under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I might by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, 
so that I might become a fellow partaker of it. When we look at the church today, and we look at why we exist, and we look at why we gather together, one of the questions that we have to answer as a body of believers is what is the best way to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? If that question is unimportant to you, then you've misunderstood the reason why we exist as a church. Why Jesus left us here when he could have taken us to heaven the moment that we were saved. He left us here because he saved us so that he might be able to send us out into this world. We exist to bring honor and glory to God. And the greatest way that we can do that is to share the truth about who he is and what he came to do to save us from our sins so that people might be forgiven. They might be transformed through this gospel of Jesus Christ. They might be saved and they might begin to worship him and honor him and serve him. And please him. You see, the reality is we are here, left on this earth, because that question becomes one of the most important questions that we should be concerned with as believers. And as we think about the question of what's the best way to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it starts to stir up in our minds a lot of discussions. We start to think about things like worship services. What do we do in the midst of worship services? Are they geared more towards the lost, more towards the saved? We start to ask all these questions. We think about programming. We think, what are the things that we could do that would draw people into the church of Jesus Christ, that would allow them to be here so that we might be able to share the gospel with them? We have different evangelistic outreach tactics, special programs that we desire to employ so that people might come to know Jesus. We have all these suggestions. And sometimes we still struggle to come up with the answer to this very hard question. For Paul, here's how he would have answered that question. This passage helps us to see the big idea of how it is that we reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He simply says that if we're going to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to serve all people by all lawful means in order to win some. Let me say that to you again. That we have to serve, as he says in this text, become slaves to all men so that we might be able to win them. And he says that we must use every lawful means to do it. It means that whatever we do to reach people with the gospel, there is a limit to what we can do. There is a limit and we call that the moral law of God that we can do as much as we possibly can without violating the law of God to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we want to tear that apart a little bit. And we want to take a look at what Paul meant exactly when he makes these statements, when he says these things. So what must we do to win souls? Number one, he says right off the bat in verse 19, we've got to hit the right mark. When you think about the right mark, I'm saying that we as believers, we've got to understand what it is we exist for. We've got to understand what are the goals of our life, not what we want to do, but what does God want of us? Why do we exist? Why did he save us? Why did he send us? These are the important questions of our life, but many of us never really get to the point of asking the right question. For the apostle Paul, listen to what he says. He says, I am free. Yet I have made myself a slave to all men. Why? So that I might see these people, as many as possible, come to Jesus Christ. You see, if you aim at nothing in life, guess what you hit? You hit absolutely nothing. And the reality is, we've got to make sure that we're aimed at the right target. That whatever it is that we've set ourselves to do, that we know it's that thing that honors and pleases God, that in that last moment when we stand before him, that he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We are servants of God. We are slaves of God. It means that it's not our will that matters. It's not our thoughts 
It's not our concerns, but the concern of our master, the concern of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And if we're going to ask the question, what must we do to win souls? We must hit the right mark. That means that as the Apostle Paul said, we want to see as many people as possible come to Christ. Honestly. On Monday morning, tomorrow, how many of you are going to wake up with that goal in mind? We're going to have a lot of things on our to-do list. But the Apostle Paul, you know what he was concerned with? What I believe every believer should be concerned with. What am I going to do today to leverage everything and anything that God has given to me? Whether it's this job, whether it's where I live, the neighborhood that I'm in the people that I interact with, all the money, the things that God has given to me. How can I leverage anything and everything that he has given to me so that people might come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Folks, if that's not the mark of our life, we are not living and following Jesus as closely as we think we are. Do we wake up thinking to ourselves, if I could see one shattered life mended, one lost person found. If I could see one broken heart healed through the gospel of Jesus Christ, if one person could come to know him, could find forgiveness, then you know what? That is what would give me the most joy in this life. See, that's a hard, honest look at ourselves. Because for Paul, he said, not only do I want to see as many people come to Christ, he said, I want to see the gospel spread as fast and as far as it possibly can. And when you look at what the Apostle Paul says, he says, here's how this happens. Here's how people come to Christ. Here's how the gospel spreads to the ends of the earth. Here's how it's multiplied out of a small community like Wendell and makes its way around the world. The believers in Jesus Christ have to decide that we're going to do that by becoming a servant of all. I can't tell you how backwards that is from the American dream. The American dream really forces us to think of ourselves, to build our own kingdoms, to have our own things. And the gospel comes in and flips everything upside down and says, you know what, what if you really exist, not for freedom, but to take your freedom and actually become a slave to everyone else around you? Isn't that earth-shattering? Doesn't that make life look different this morning? It has to. It must. Jesus Christ himself, when you look at his life, when you look at the end of all that he had to say, he said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. Have we gotten to the place that we have convinced ourselves that we know beyond a shadow of doubt that God has called us to die to ourselves, that when we think about it, at the end of it all, we are to put on the mind of Christ, as Philippians 2 tells us. And he says that, listen, if you want to have the mind of Christ, you have to consider others before yourself, and you've got to put their needs in front of your needs. And he says, if you want the greatest example of that, look no further than the condescension of Christ, where Christ did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he became in the form of a man. He took on flesh. Isn't that crazy? He humbled himself. And he became a servant. And a servant... His job is to obey, and it says that Jesus became obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. Why? 
Why would a man go and die on a cross? It wasn't for his sake. It was for our sake. He gave it all. Everything in Scripture points to the truth that we are talking about right here. The life that we have been given, the blessings that we have been given. At the end of this text, in verse 23, he says, Listen, my joy is found and that this blessing gets to be shared with everyone else around me. Most of us can't figure out why we're so miserable in life. It's because so much of us are caught up thinking that our life exists for us and not for the people around us. So if we're going to win souls, we've got to make sure we're aimed at the right target, seeing as many people come to Christ, taking this gospel as fast and as far as we can, doing whatever it takes as a church, as individuals, to make sure that we have the margin To make sure that we're not absorbing everything in our lives on ourselves. And that we're giving the best that we have, the first of what we have, to the kingdom of God. God has never been interested in our leftovers. Secondly, we must let the gospel be the only offense. See, the reality is people will be offended when you preach the gospel. The gospel itself can be offensive, can't it? And why is it offensive? Because we go out and we have to tell bad news before we can tell good news. And we live in a world that the starting place is there is no truth. The starting place is you can't say that I'm a sinner. You can't say what I believe. You can't say what's right. You can't say what's wrong when that's the starting point. There's a ball rolling up here. I got the ball rolling. Is this yours? It's, <laughs> you know what I thought it was? I thought it was a mouse. I was getting ready to get up out of here. You are about to see me run really fast. Fat boy, you'd be like, wow. The gospel for many people is going to be an offense because it says you have a need. You can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. You can't obey God's law. It puts our eternity not in the hands of ourselves, but we have to surrender it into the hands of another. And there are so many people that that is an absolute offense to them. And folks, I know that the gospel in many ways will be an offense to people, but we ought not be an offense to people. There's a difference between the gospel being an offense and us being an offense, when we witness to people, when we share with people, we've got to be sure that we understand that we should witness with tact. Let me tell you what tact is. It is the art of making a point without making an enemy. As we go into this world to share the gospel with people, you know what should be the thing that they notice the most in us? From the very beginning, God has really only wanted... One thing, love. Think about that. What would be the fulfillment of the law if we just simply loved, if we loved God enough to not chase after worthless idols, if we loved God enough not to use his name in vain, if we loved God enough to worship him with all that we have and all that we are, if we set our affections on Him. And then He says, as if that wasn't enough, He says, and listen, if you want to know how to deal with other people, just love them. When people see us, they ought to see love. And you say, well, why does that go hand in hand? Because, listen, if God dwells in us, if He has control of us, if His Holy Spirit is filling us, controlling us, then folks, listen, the very word of God says that God is love, and if God is in you, how can love not come out of you? And see, he says, I want to take the gospel to everyone. I want people to know the truth about Jesus Christ. So he says, listen, I'm going to become a Jew to Jews. I'm going to Become as one under the law to those who 
are under the law. I'm going to be weak to those and with those that are weak. He is showing us a pattern of what it means and what it looks like to love the people around us. We can't let ourselves be the offense. We have to witness with tact. Folks, if we're going to witness in this world, we also have to understand the culture around us. I want you to see what he means when we talk about, I don't want to be an offense. I don't want to be a stumbling block. He talked about it with the meat offered to idols. But listen, every time we go overseas, you have to realize, we tell our teams, we tell the people that go on these mission trips with us, it matters what you put on Facebook. You know why? Because all of our partners all around the world are watching how we live. When we go on mission trips, listen, people that have tattoos on their arm, I believe we're absolutely free. I don't think anybody's going to go to hell because they have a tattoo on their arm. But there are people and there are cultures where, you know what, that is an offense. That is a stumbling block. And you know what we will do so that we can win people to Christ? We're not going to go over there and try to debate with them whether or not it's right or wrong that we have a tattoo. We're not going to go over there and say, you know what, it's my right. I'm free in Christ. You can't put that on me. Oh, by the way, I want to tell you about the love of Jesus. You know what we do? We just cover them up. Terry Zimmerman now has to cover up her arms. Can anybody believe that but me? <laughs> I mean, when she came in with that tattoo, I thought, Jesus is coming back today. <laughs> Holy moly. Terry's got to cover her arms now. But you know what the reality is? There's so many ways in which we deal with cultural issues when we go around the world. Sometimes we go to places, you know what, it's easy to pass time playing cards, but we don't play cards. You know why? Because if they see a deck of cards, it don't matter if it's phase 10 cards. The first thing they think is, ooh, casino. You don't believe that? We didn't listen to Grady one year when I was young and uh, apparently unimpressionable. He said, don't play cards in Honduras. They think it's bad. Don't play cards. And so in my mind, I thought, well, don't play cards in public. So we go to our room, and there's a bunch of guys in there, no shirts, hanging out, playing phase 10 or Uno. I don't even remember which one it was. It wasn't even real cards. And we ain't seen the owner of this house not one time the entire week. And all of a sudden, I'm dealing out those cards. The door kicks open, and it's the owner of the house. And the first thing out of his mouth, he went, oh, casino. You have to pay attention to the culture. You become whatever you need to become as long as you don't violate the law of God so that you might win people to Jesus Christ. I'm not going to do anything that becomes an offense. Listen, I'm not going to drink in a culture where you don't drink, right? I'm not going to do the tattoos. I'm not going to play the cards. I'm not going to dance if they think dancing's bad. I'm just going to let those things go, and I can argue freedom all day long, but the reality is, do I care enough about the souls of people that I'm willing to lay aside my freedom so that they might be willing to listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And obviously, when we talk about this, there's the other issue of that we live out our faith, that what we say and what they see are the same things, that we don't live a hypocritical life over and over in front of the people that we are trying to witness to. It was said to one pastor, I cannot hear what you say, for listening to what you are. And folks, we don't want that to be true of any of us. I don't want to be what stands between a person and the gospel. And so are we willing to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes within lawfulness? And we're going to get into that because thirdly, I want you to see that we have to build bridges rather than walls. See, really, that's what we do most as Christians is we end up building walls more than we end up building bridges. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. You don't have to be a Republican to be saved. Jesus, let me say this, he didn't just die for Republicans. He died for Democrats. He died for Independents. Are there
Are there issues that we could discuss in the midst of all that? Absolutely. Surely. But let me tell you something. If you go out to my truck today, you know why I don't have a bunch of bumper stickers that give every one of my opinions on everything that I think? It's very simple. Politics isn't as important to me as getting the gospel to people. And if something I have on my truck would be an offense that would take away the opportunity immediately for me to open up and share about the gospel, if what is on my truck is going to make people want to debate with me out of the gate about things that don't matter in eternal life, like politics, am I saying politics is bad? No. Am I saying that we don't need to pay attention to politics? Absolutely not. More of you should probably be involved in politics. But we got to think about the way things look to the people that we are in contact with, the people that we are trying to minister to. When we let issues that have nothing to do with the gospel get in the way of us sharing the gospel, there is an issue with the way that we are thinking. Now, when Paul talks about the law, here's the interesting thing. Most of us don't realize and understand the nuances of when the word law is used in the, in the scriptures. There's really three types of law that we see in scripture. We see that we have the moral law. That is the timeless, unchangeable laws of God, like the Ten Commandments, right? Those things that, that determine what is righteous, what is right, what is good, what is holy, and they never, ever change. And then we have things in the Old Testament, especially like ceremonial law. And the Old Testament also talks about the civil law. The civil law is what we think about when we think of governments that make laws, so that people know what they should do or not do and what the consequences are if they do or do not do the things that they're supposed to do or not do. And we have ceremonial laws, and the reality is those laws were given to us, and technically given to the Jews, and the reason that they were given to the Jews was there was a purpose in those laws that through those laws, through the sacrifices, through the worship, through all the rules that God gave them to be ceremonially clean, it was pointing to Jesus, and there came a time that when Jesus finally came, right, when the Messiah showed up, he fulfilled the law, and now we don't have to deal with the ceremonial law anymore. But we still have the moral law, because it's timeless. It never changes. We have the law of Christ, as the New Testament will go on and say, and really when you talk about the law of Christ, it means that we love other people that we give ourselves to other people, we sacrifice and we serve other people, and that love becomes that law of Christ, that difference. How many times did Jesus bring that issue up in our lives? Love your enemy. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Love, love. This is how they'll know that you're my disciples, by loving. And so when Paul gets into this discussion He's going to say, listen, I want to win people however I can. I won't violate the moral law to do it. But he says, listen, I don't have to worry about the ceremonial law anymore. And you know what he says? If I'm sitting with a Jew who is still concerned about the ceremonial law, you know what he'll say? Then I will obey that ceremonial law. He says, do I have to? Am I under that law? Paul would say, absolutely, I'm not under that law, but you know what I'll do? Listen, you want to know how far Paul would go? Poor Timothy, man. If I was Paul, Timothy, I'd be like, look, you ain't my friend no more. <laughs> he went as far as he looked at Timothy and he said, you know what, we're going to go and we're going to reach and minister to the Jews. And Timothy... I know that your mother is a Jew, and I know that your father is a Gentile, and for your father it wasn't important to him that you be circumcised, and you haven't been circumcised, and here he is, a grown man, and the Apostle Paul looks at his mentee and says, I want you to be circumcised so that we can minister to these people that we need to minister to. I can't ask some of y'all to change your Sunday school class. Right? But here's a man that literally, when it says, I've become all things to all people so that I might win some, think about what this man endured, what this man went through so that someone could know the gospel of Jesus Christ so it wouldn't be an affront because they looked at Timothy and said, you know, what are you doing? You're a Jew. You're at least half a Jew on your mother's side, and yet you won't even honor our traditions. And that man literally did that as an adult man 
to honor the traditions of the Jews so that he might would be able to minister to the Jews. Does that look like being a slave to all, a servant to all? My goodness. Folks, the law was given to us so that it might be a mirror so that we might see honestly who we are before God. It was given to us as a restraint so that it might hold back those sinful inclinations that are within all of us to know what is right and wrong so that we might choose what is right knowing the consequences that come with what is wrong. It was meant to be a restraint, but the reality is we found that we never could obey the law. Ultimately, all the law was ever able to do was to condemn us. But I love what the law is to a believer. I want you to hear this today. It is a mirror. It is a restraint. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, you know what the law has actually become? No longer that thing which condemns us, but that thing that now actually guides us almost as a friend into what is right, into what is good, that because Jesus Christ came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, He lived a righteous life. He paid the price for our sins. He died on Calvary for us, taking every sin that we've ever committed and nailing it to the cross. And as if that wasn't enough, He then took every bit of His own righteousness, His perfect life, and He gave it into our account so that now we stand before God perfect. That's craziness. But it's the truth. And now we don't have to fear the law. We're not under the law. We're under God's grace. Not so that we might continue sinning, but that we might live free as Christ has made us free. And so here's what he gets at, and here's why we talk about the law. Is when we talk about building bridges rather than walls, we must tread carefully among the easily offended. Now, the reason I say that is because, guess what? We live in a culture unlike any culture that I can remember in all my 50 years. We are easily offended, aren't we? The world around us is so easily offended. Now, folks, we have to share the gospel. We've got to give them the bad news before they can receive the good news. We've got to convince them that the plane is going down and the only salvation is the parachute on their back. And we've got to tell them that's Jesus. That's the cross. That is what he did for us. And listen, they may say, well, I feel safe on this plane. We've got to convince them, no, this plane is going down. It's hard to convince a person to let them know that they are a sinner. That's why we've got to trust God to work, God to move in their hearts. We have to be willing to go and to share that news. But I want you to understand that don't offend them with things that aren't the gospel. We don't have to win every argument, do we? The only one that matters is the gospel. You say, but I'm going to change their thoughts. I'm going to change their mind. Listen, let's go back to salvation. You can't change their heart. You can't change their mind. It is a work of God that happens in them only when we share the gospel so we don't let those things get in the way of us doing the one thing that will actually give us what we want and give us what God wants to see that soul saved. We must lay down our liberty for those that are weak. Not weak physically. Weak in their conscience. It means that no matter what you believe about a glass of alcohol, you would never make a brother stumble. We can sit there and have that debate all day long. What's drunkenness? What's this? What's that? Listen. Don't let those things that you believe you are free in become a stumbling block to other people. That's what he's getting at. Think of all the ways that you think you're free but might cause another person to stumble. And so whatever those things are, he says, listen, 
You need to be concerned for the person that, that is weak. Maybe they are a legalist. Maybe they are sitting there and, and they're so concerned about the way that we dress. Like sometimes there are people that sit in churches that are lost as they can be and they're so caught up in tradition that you know what, for a long time, for a long time, I had to wear a suit up in this thing. And I had to work through Scripture to help people understand that reverence is internal, not external. That the guy in the suit could be the biggest devil in the room, right? And the guy that showed up with braids and, and, uh, and, and shorts and a ragged t-shirt, that may be the godliest guy in the room. And we can sit there and get caught up in these traditions and get caught up in these things, but the reality is, you know what? Until we could move forward as a unified church, you just suck it up and you wear a tie. You suck it up and you wear a sport coat. It took me three, four years to strip down to this. This is all I'm doing. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. Honey for the win. I'm assuming that was honey. Okay. Listen, the Bible says that we must also not purposefully offend those under the law. And that's what Paul gets at. We've been, we've been discussing that. The last thing I want you to see this morning, we've got to hit the right mark. We must let the gospel be the only offense. We must build bridges rather than build walls. And lastly, we must come alongside others without ever compromising our convictions. We have to come alongside other people. It doesn't mean that we do what we know is wrong. It doesn't mean, I mean, I want you to think about this. It doesn't mean that, you know what, we're going to go and worship false gods and hope that we can talk them into worshiping the true God. That's, that's a no. That's violating the commandments, right? I'm not going to go get drunk with a person so that I can in some way understand and relate to them where they are and they see, hey, you know what, a pastor wants to get drunk too. I'm not going to do that because it's going to violate what I know to be right and good and holy before the Lord. So I'm not going to get drunk in order to try to win someone to Jesus Christ. There are limits to what we do in order to see people come to Jesus Christ. But I do want you to think about it for a minute. There are a lot of things that aren't conviction that we want to make conviction that we want to say are law, but they are not law. They're nothing more than tradition. Folks, one of the reasons so many churches in our convention are dying today is because they just don't want to change. They're going to keep the same 1940s furniture. They're going to play the same 1950s music. What shocks me sometimes is that I watch churches, whole churches, that, that you know what their reality is? They care more about their traditions than they do the salvation of their own grandchildren. Paul said, listen, I... I'll become all things to all people as long as I'm not violating the law so that I might win some to Christ. That means that we've got to go where they are. How many of you have lost friends? You need lost friends. You don't yoke yourself to them. They shouldn't determine the way that you walk and where all that you go, but the reality is you've got to get it outside of the walls of this church and you've got to mingle with people that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only way that you will reach them. And there are times, listen, Melanie and I, this is no joke. We had a neighbor. <laughs> we found out they love volleyball. Well, me and Melanie love volleyball. We knew that they were partiers. We knew that they lived a lifestyle that's completely different than us, but we desperately wanted to witness to them, to share with them. And we'd gotten to know them, we'd have them over, and, and literally they said, hey, we got some friends getting together this weekend. They like to throw parties on Saturday afternoons, and we're going to go play volleyball. Would you like to go? Well, I remember me and Mel were sitting there thinking, 
okay, this could be bad or good. But you know what? We really wanted to see them and to meet some of their friends to continue to be a witness for Jesus Christ with them. So we went. We knew that they would probably be very different than us, that they would probably talk very different than us, act very different than us. And so we went, and it was right up behind Duke Raleigh, whatever it was called before. It's right up behind there. And they had this beautiful yard, man. They had like three volleyball nets set up. It was like, oh, it was awesome. We get in there, and everybody's playing, and it's what I thought. You know, people are going to miss hit, and they're going to throw out words, and, you know, they had a couple beers over there. These people were drinking over here and everything else. And literally, you know, me and Melanie are trying our best to build relationships, not get caught up in all the, 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 the talk and, and trying to just show that we are living differently, but being there, you know what I mean? And trying to just be two real people. We could have said, you know what, we don't talk like that. You know what? There's no way I would ever be found. Listen, the only time we decided we had to leave was when we started smelling pot. <laughs> that's, when we, that, that's where I drew the line because all I thought was, I can't explain to Bill how I'm in the police department and I got busted at a party where there's pot. So I did draw the line there. That's lawful. That's lawful. You know what? I wasn't the most comfortable in that position, obviously. I didn't let them change the way I talked or what I did. But you know what? I went there, and I just loved on people that were different than me. And we just had a common love for volleyball. Folks, it's, it's all right. Remember, Jesus was the one that they said, what's he doing hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors? I think one of the greatest compliments they ever gave to Jesus was when they looked at him with spite and said, look at him, a friend of sinners. Jesus wore that like a badge of honor. He didn't become like them. But he positioned himself to be able to minister to them. We've got to learn to listen and not just talk. That's the key to witnessing We've got to know where people are. We've got to know where the hurts are. We've got to know where the issues are. One of the things I learned on this Guatemalan trip was that very thing that, you know what? It makes all the difference in the world if you will just look a person in the eye and ask them questions and care about their soul. They will open the door for you to share the gospel with them. But most of us don't know how to be quiet long enough. Again, we have an agenda. Again, we come in and we're going to say what we're going to say and we don't stop long enough to just sit and listen to a person to help them open the door so that we can share the gospel with them. So folks, I want us to lay down the ideas that, you know what, we're trying to build our dream church. Most people, that's what they're looking for. They just keep going place to place. What are they looking for? Their dream church. This church does not exist to fulfill your dreams. If we look at a church and say, this is the church of my dreams, probably the reality is you've just walked into a church that's all about the people in the church and has nothing to do with the people outside the church. what he calls us to and what he wants from us listen I'll be honest I learned this a long time ago in ministry Barbara Holt probably remembers me having some of these discussions in the youth department I like when people are uncomfortable in our wall you know what we ought to be uncomfortable God was never aiming at your comfort And when you're looking at your checkbook and you're thinking, how in the world could I go on this mission trip? I don't have the money. Well, listen, you probably won't have the money next year, and you probably won't have the money the year after that or the year after that. You know what you ought to do? Just say yes and let God show up and say, that you know what, I exist to serve all, to be a slave to all. I want to get the gospel to the farthest parts of the earth as fast as we can. And you know what, I'm going to take a step. I'm going to trust God that he can, he will provide. And you know what, I'm not going to wait till it's ideal I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to say yes. As Kevin comes this morning, I want you to just think with me today 
about the question of the mark. What is the goal that you are pursuing? Are you committed to seeing as many people come to Jesus as possible? Are you willing to realign your life so that you can be on mission with God? And you see, it's real easy for everybody in this room to say yes to that in themselves. And let me ask you the question, does your life reflect that right now? How do you use your time? How do you use your talents? How do you use your treasure, these gifts that God has given to you, resources that God has given to you to expand your freedom? Are you using those freedoms to serve yourself or to serve others? There is no nation as blessed as we are. If you're in this room, you are the 1%. What do we use? How do we use it? It matters how we answer that question. I want us to think today. I want us to pray today. Are we willing to reach the people of Wendell? When I say the people of Wendell, I mean every person in Wendell. You see, it's easy to have a church where everybody's just like us. It's hard to have a church that is diverse, a church where... Everybody looks a little different. Remember I said that he didn't die for Republicans or political conservatives. He didn't die for white people. He didn't die for just middle class families. He died for everyone. And I'll know, and you'll know, and the Lord will know when we're serious about this gospel. Because you'll take a slice of this church and it'll look like a slice of this community. Because we'll become all things to all people. Why? So that we might win some. Service may need to look different. Songs may need to look different. The way we do things may need to look different. There are things we may need to cut because the reality is they're not effective for the community that we have. It may be for us. I want to ask you one last question. Is there an opinion that you need to dial back so that you can be effective in sharing the gospel with other people. Hello, Facebook. Hello, Twitter. Why would we let secondary things stop us? Are we willing to be a church that's uncomfortable so that people can know the gospel? Father, be with us today. Speak to our hearts. Lord, challenge us to not be satisfied until this community has been saturated with the gospel. Lord, move in our lives whatever has to be moved, whatever is fighting for first place in our life that is keeping us from obeying your great commission. Lord, I pray that you would help us to set it aside. Lord, we want to abide with you so that we can bear much fruit. So for many in this room, it just begins with going back to that time with you day in and day out, opening up the Word of God. We're hearing our televisions. We're hearing our radios. We're hearing the books that we're reading. We're hearing the professors in our classes. What we're not hearing is you. And Lord, it keeps us sidetracked. So cut through all the noise, Lord. And speak to us and show us how we should live. What matters the most? Lord, none of us want to get to that point where we stand before you and literally you say you wasted your life. All the blessings, all the opportunities, they were there, but you had to be right. They were there, but you wanted to consume for yourself. They were there. Lord, do in us what only you can do. Change us, transform us. Get us to the place that you need us to be on mission. The goal in front of us. And Lord, help us to stop making excuses. Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, give them faith today to see the truth that they're sinners in need of a Savior, that they desperately need to repent of sins, to turn and 
to follow you. And, and Lord, it's something they can't do on their own. They must confess their sins knowing that you're able to forgive them and to change them from the inside out. You died for them and you were buried and you rose again. May they believe that and trust that that is how they are saved. And may they surrender to you today. Wherever they are, let them pray and repent and confess and believe that you are the Savior of the world who gave his life for them. And may they just surrender. Lord, if there's someone here that needs to make a public profession of faith, they've prayed to receive you. They've prayed for that forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you give them the courage to come and be baptized, be part of this fellowship. Lord, as we're praying and as we're singing, they can come right now and receive Christ. They can come and let us know that they have received Christ. They can move their membership today. Lord, it's the moment. This is the moment, Lord, where you want to move if we will simply let you. So, Lord, as we pray, speak. As you speak, help us to respond and surrender to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. 